to play in the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Turn handle in left side. Finds a little bit of a hole, keeps his leg moving. He's across the 40, midfield, 45, he's on the run winch. 40, pushes the man, 35, look at him go. He's down to 20, 15, he could go. He is going to go. Touchdown, Seahawks. Oh, my word. A 67-yard run. Marshawn Lynch, unbelievable. The beast is alive and well. Wide receivers to either side. Russell takes the snap. He drops back. He's going to throw down the middle. He's got a man. Come on. It has been decided, maybe since the safety in the first quarter. 12, they're bringing the trophy home. Your Seahawks, Super Bowl 48 champion. Ladies and gentlemen, Seahawks and football fans everywhere, a very warm welcome back to the We Talk Seahawks podcast. As always, we thank you for tuning in with us this week. Um, have we all breathed our our sighs of relief yet? Are we all done? Uh, I am. I, I tossed and turned a little bit on uh, on Sunday night. Um, I was quite stressed, sweating from places I didn't know I could sweat from, um, all that kind of stuff, because the Seahawks will forever be the Seahawks, will forever not grant me my wish of, 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 of Christmas every time. I put it on my Christmas list every year. Santa, please just bring me a normal Seahawks game next year. He never does. Um, 20 to 10. It was never going to be, never going to be Seahawks by forty or fifty like we all championed on the podcast, was it? Uh, the box score does show a Seahawks win, and that is all that matters, record-wise and and seedings-wise and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was uh, it was far from straightforward. It was far far tougher than the Seahawks needed it to be. But hey, that is our Seattle Seahawks. This is what we signed up for. We all know this. Um, but. Joining me tonight, as always, is my right-hand man Pez. Um, how are you doing, mate? I'm good. Good. I'm good. A win's a win. I've I rewatched a game, like I said to you before you started recording. Mm. And because I was away for the night with my wife, so a couple of beers, not so much clarity on everything. So I rewatched a game. And I'm not as frustrated overall as the scoreline would predict. There's one glaring issue for me at this moment in time. But overall, yeah, I've kind of tempered my overall frustration in the game and just gone, we got the win. We've got more. We've got bigger situations coming up. There's no point dwelling on it. No point hanging around with it. But we are going to tonight. We're going to talk about it. So... I'm excited. 
Yeah, we're going to get into it. It's an interesting game to dive into. Um, obviously, Mitch can't be with us tonight, but he will be with us for Rookie Watch and our fantasy segment later in the week. Um, but we've got some interesting talking points tonight. Are we more good teams win ugly or teams don't let that game get ugly camp? Uh, is it time to get serious about Jake Bobo and what does his emergence spell for D. Eskridge and Derek Young potentially? GSN finally gets his breakout game and all of us breathe another sigh of relief over that. Um, potential moves we might have to make or could make to replace Uchenna Nawosu as he looks to be heading for season-ending surgery. Um, and what Boye Mafia is doing, is it not being hyped up enough in the general NFL world? Seahawks fans, I know we hype him up pretty much all the time this season, but is his work going unnoticed by the rest of the NFL? Is he not a sexy enough yet, name yet uh, for, for the rest of the NFL world to be talking about him? Um, interesting little discussion on that because uh, his, his spoiler alert, his sack numbers is, is quite impressive if he continues the way he's going, but we'll get into that later on. Um, but we'll start with the offense, as we always do. Um, 318 total yards of offense, 203 passing yards, 115 rushing yards, five and a half yards per player average. Very good on third down efficiency, seven for 13, which is much better than we've been showing in previous games. Um, obviously didn't have a fourth down situation. 58 total plays for the Seahawks, 63 for the Cardinals, which is interesting. Uh, two sacks allowed by the Seahawks compared to the Cardinals. Four. We punted three times. The Cardinals punted five times. Five penalties for 32 yards. So a bit of a better day on penalties, even though five penalties still isn't great. But five, you know, it's, it's, it's better than the seven and eights and nines that we've been putting up. Um, the two fumbles, and an inception throws. That's three turnovers. Obviously, a very hot topic coming out of the game. And the Seahawks <coughs> just just squeaking the time of possession: thirty minutes, thirty-two seconds to twenty-nine minutes and twenty-eight of the Cardinals. Um, we'll start with the main man, Geno Smith, because it's where our offense starts all the time. As always, we we have to we have to start with Geno. Eighteen for twenty-four, two hundred nineteen yards passing, two touchdowns, and the interception. Um, again, another week where Gino posts an interesting kind of school of thought surrounding him. What what we thinking, Pez? Um, I was just about to say I'm going to uh, hijack your normal like your normal speaker because I've got I've been pondering over this, and as many of our regular listeners will know, I like to look at things from outside of the box a little bit. Sometimes. They're just completely out there. Sometimes there's a bit of sense with them. But this one, it intrigued me as I, I, I rewatched the game, listened to a couple of podcasts, got their opinions, and a few things started standing out for me. Was what, and it, it, it all ties around Gino because, like I said, when I first started speaking, was there's a one glaring issue with this team at the moment. And for me, it's Geno Smith. I know it's everyone's bag, but I'm not in the camp of let's bench him. Like I said last week, people need to temper their let's bench him and get Drew in camp. Because I think people have forgot what a Drew Lock game truly looks like. He may have been with the team for a long time and you may think, oh, Pete will be able to do miracle things for him. But just look at the slate down the line. Remember how he struggles. 
it sounds like a recipe for disaster. Now, with that being said, I do have a big issue with Gino, but it's not just goldfish memory, what you see, react. Mine's a little bit bigger than that. Mine goes all the way back to when he first came in the league. So more, it's more my thoughts, and I want to hear your opinion on if I'm talking absolute nonsense or I might be onto something with Gino. But I'll start with Pete. Now, what's Pete all about? Ball security, don't do anything daft, look after the football. This defence is starting to put stats and numbers together from times gone by what we're all very familiar with. Rewind back to that time when you had a young Russell Wilson, the one where the defence did everything for him. Well, what will Russ do in the Geno interception situations in the last two weeks? Granted, he can throw a good interception, but 90% of the time, if nothing was on, he'd throw the ball away take the three points because it's all about the ball. It's all about gaining points. This game, that's all it required. The Bengals game, that's all it required. The two fuck-ups in the red zone would have won us the game if he just didn't... He, like, he didn't do stupid bonehead stuff. Right? So, there's a... There's a couple of questions here for you. So you've got to track them, James. You know what I'm like. Oh, this is a rabbit hole and beauty <laughs> of it. So my first one is, where is Pete over these last two weeks? Because it doesn't feel like his type of, you know, bag on offense. Like Gino did it in the Bengals game. Surely Pete during the week has said, Pack that shit in, but then did it straight away the week after. Right? So my question is, it just doesn't have the feel of like how Pete Carroll embodies the team. So keep that in your memory. And now I'm going to take you down the Geno Smith side of it. That makes me wonder, is Geno Smith truly regressing? But I don't mean regressing like just recent, I mean, go all the way back to when he came in the league. What was what was the reasons he got benched? Boneheaded plays, interceptions, trying to force the issue too much, essentially, are them. Attitude, ego, because he got him a punch in the face in practice. Now, are we, as fans letting him off the hook a little bit and not seeing what's right in front of us because in our mindset, Gino's just a backup. Gino isn't Gino isn't the franchise guy, this thing. If he can take us to an NFC Championship or a Super Bowl, oh, great, well done, Gino, but I don't think there's a fan out there, even from last year, even going into this year, whether you were a truther or not, no one expected him to do what he did. No one still... Wanting him now, essentially. No offence to Gino, but they're not. They're looking at next year's draft. Should we get a quarterback? Where's Drew Locke? Da, 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 da. The story, the, the narratives keep on going on. But with that in mind, are we not just seeing what's staring us in the face? Because something I pick up on with Gino is 
after last year when he started getting better and better, I I noticed that for me, people would say it's confidence, but I looked at it as he looks like he's got an arrogant swagger about him. And I'm pretty sure when he first came in the league, they were his issues. His arrogance is is yeah, it's all good to back yourself, but not when you keep fucking up. Last week, JSN, he wasn't open. No. You can watch it in every different angle you want. He was never open. It was never going to happen. But he did it anyway. Is that Gino just trying to score points? Or is that Gino trying to be the hero? Is that Gino trying to, that little voice in his head, because he just tells us he's a team guy. He talks like a team guy. Put it on me. It's my fault. Blah, 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 blah. But secretly, that ego he had when he came into the league, is it not just still there in his head? He's just matured. So he knows how to present himself better than he did back in the day. Because his interceptions in the last couple of weeks tell me he's not thinking about just getting the points. He's thinking about the points he can score. He's thinking about himself. Uh, I'm being overly critical here because when you're in the situation you're in and it's not open, throw the fucking ball away and get three points. No, instead, he forced the issue. To finish it off, it's interesting also what I noticed, all his interceptions came throwing it either to JSN or Jake Bobble. Does he throw an interception if it's Tyler or DK? So I'm going to kind of contradict myself, but only in the open sea of my thinking. Welcome to my mind, everyone. <laughs> is if it was DK or Tyler, did he get intercepted? Because he knows he has that connection with them. Is it just a case that every time he's been picked, it's been conveniently been with the rookies? Or... Are we starting to see him regress to the Geno Smith that first came into the league? And I don't put that on because he can't do it. I put that down to because of his actual egotistical arrogance of being overconfident in himself and wanting to be the number one guy because he doesn't have that many years left in the league. Um, A lot to unpack there. I'm going to try and work my way through what you've said. Uh, to the to my best of my ability, Pez. Um, in terms of where is Pete Carroll to answer your first kind of thing, I think Pete Carroll um, isn't kind of how do I say it, getting involved or throwing the reins on him a little bit because I think he has confidence in him and he has a lot of confidence in him from what he showed last season. I mean, thirty touchdowns to eleven interceptions last season. Um, he had something like a one hundred. 0.9 passer rating, um, you know, a three to one touchdown to interception ratio from last season, a franchise record in passing yards and passing touchdowns in a single season. He's got confidence in him. Um, so I don't think, you know, six weeks into a season, well, five, uh, six games into a season, um, with, with us being four and two and with what Gino put on last season, I don't think Pete would say, I haven't got he doesn't have enough kind of excuses to get involved with him yet because Gino hasn't played so atrociously that, you know, we haven't got a losing record. We're not below 500. We, you know, we are winning games and we are still playing fairly 
well. Um, so I don't think he feels like he's got enough kind of excuses yet to warrant him kind of getting involved with Gino. But I will play a clip and I will edit in this clip from Pete Carroll's press conference after the game because it's an interesting one um, into the podcast now. Do Gino's turnovers concern you at all? I mean, does this been a couple yeah, of weeks? Yeah, and, and it's something that we've been talking about. You know, he got on, the, he got on a... On a the sprint he's out outside the pocket and, and it didn't happen on rhythm so it went to a, a late rhythm and and he took a shot trying to trying to squeeze one in there and uh that he knows we we, we saw him do that in camp a few times and it's something that's topical and he's sick about it he, you know, just should have eaten the football or run with the ball right there it's what the options are and, and uh you know he, he, he tried to squeeze one in um we went quick on the snap and and we didn't handle it right so other than that um and that is basically He's saying that the pick that Gino threw in this game, rolling out to the left, he's basically was quite frustrated. I can't tell if he was frustrated with Gino or was frustrated more with themselves that they allowed him to do that. He says that, that, that that's a historical error that Gino makes when he rolls out to his left and, and forces that throw. He kind of says he's done it in camp. He, he, he does it in training. Um, that's a historical kind of situation that when Gino's rolling out to the left and putting a ball to where he's trying to put it, he, he, it seems like it's a bit of a trait for him to underthrow those kind of balls. So it, sound, it kind of sounded like he was half frustrated with Gino and half frustrated with themselves that they put him in that position to to make that mistake. Um, so to that point, yeah, I, I don't think they've got enough kind of excuses yet to get involved with Gino, try and sort of say, listen, you know, you need to book your ideas up yet. Um, what the facts are is... He's got seven touchdowns to four interceptions, which is not amazing. He's 10th in QBR in the NFL of 61.3, which is, I mean, 10th is okay, but it's not elite elite. Um, his QBR so far through this season uh, is 61.3. He finished last season with a 62.8 QBR, so he's slightly down on his QBR. Um, and obviously last season was 100.9 passer rating. So far this season, he's on a 93.6 passer rating. So slightly down on both QBR and passer rating through the early parts of the season. Also, his completion percentage is down from 69.8 last season to 68.6 so far this season. But, you know, there have been some mitigating, so obviously with this being the all-line situation, sort of, you know, working Jason and all that. So you can maybe litigate for some of those kind of things. Um, I, I, it, whether he's regressing and, and the, the ego thing, that's really, that's really hard to kind of pinpoint and say, it is because I look at Gino and the way he talks after a pre-game com- like press conference, the way he takes responsibility. I think you know what that is a great kind of leader. He speaks really well. He takes responsibility for his errors. He, he you know and, and he speaks really really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like he, he's he's too humble of a guy to to be that egotistical, knowing where he's come from. But then like you say, playing devil's advocate, is it a is it a bit of a character that he's putting on? Is it a potentially a bit of a mask, a bit of a cover? Um, I look at, I mean, a good point to your example is that play where he nearly ended his career trying to do a Drake London impression where he flipped over and landed on his head. Did he need to do that? Was that a smart thing to do? Or was he potentially trying to play a little bit of hero ball there, trying to dive for the pylon? Um, like we've seen Rusk do in the past, playing hero ball, not making smart decisions at times. Was that the first kind of inkling? Because that's been a main kind of plus point of Gino, hasn't it, through his, his, his emergence in Seattle, that he's not playing hero ball. He's a smart, team-friendly, team kind of offence-friendly 
quarterback. He doesn't put the the, the, the team and 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 the offense in positions to 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 harm itself by being sort of hero ball esque. Whereas that was our first kind of it or my first kind of inkling, like, oh, you know, was that was that was that really the right thing to do? Do you really need to do that? Is that the smartest thing, or are you trying to force something a little bit there? Um, so. Man, I don't know. I don't know because I, I hadn't thought. I hadn't. I hadn't even. I hadn't even considered or crossed <laughs> my mind that Gino might potentially be like an egotistical in the in the bad sense. I hadn't even. I hadn't even crossed my mind. He's just a picture perfect. Speaks picture perfect. Comes across picture perfect. It hadn't even crossed my mind. But when I think but, of that, so was Russ. I don't know. Exactly, and I was just about to say how many players off the field, talk the right talk. Because that's what Gino's doing. Just because it's not cheesy and corny like Russ, it's exactly the same. He says all the right things. He says everything people want to hear. And when you then go on the field, you then, in a way, you revert to type. And I could be completely way off with this. It's just something I put two and two together when I watched the in- how he threw the interceptions and where he threw the interceptions, where he could have got the three points. Our defence in that Bengals game, by the point where we could have got the first field goal, that was the interception to JSN, he didn't need to do that. That wasn't a case of shit or bust like the fourth down when. Cody Parkinson, the, the actual play you called, saying, why don't you just target Cody Parkinson? And he's wide freaking open, and he stares him down and bottles it. Like, in in that sense, you could look at it deeper and say, maybe he has got some in, internal demons. Like, confidence. Because it's two games in a row now where he started off on fire and absolutely fizzled out, and he did this last year. Now, like I did last week, I will then, because I don't want people to listen to that and go, oh, he's just, uh, he just doesn't like Gino. When Gino came in last year, I wasn't that impressed. I was shocked, just like everyone else. Don't care what anyone says, any Gino truth in the world who knew he was going to do this, no, you never. Unless you were in the team, like a Quandre Diggs, who said, oh, yeah, we knew. We knew what he could do. Like, unless you're inside the building. No fan. I don't care. Unless you're connected with the team. No, just general fan on social media had a clue what Gino was going to do last year. Like simple facts, in my opinion. And I'll stand by that. And I was the same. Super shocked. But like a lot of fans, they wanted to see him two years in a row. And I just, I get that feeling like he had such a good year last year. You read all the stats out. And I just feel like, He's sitting on his laurels a little bit and he's let it go to his head a little bit. And I'm sure they were the things when he first came into league what got him into trouble. And like I said, but to sprinkle some positive onto it, I said last week, one thing Gino won't do this week is stand in the pocket too long when he realises not things are going wrong. Did exactly the, did exactly that. He was on his toes, he he, he registered it. Was aware, darted, gone, 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 gone. Yeah, love it, perfect, love it. And so that's a positive. I believe 
he did this last year, though. So I do put that. Just wanted to see your opinion on it. Like, it's just the viewers probably the listener and the viewers probably coming to this podcast like, what have I just fucking opened <laughs> the first ten minutes? But hey, it's it's an inflammatory kind of discussion in terms of people might not want to have it, but it's a potentially interesting one when you get into it and think, could it could it be that? Um, at this point, I'll side with the kind of I'll I'll back Gino until he shows me enough. But now that you've mentioned it, it's in my back pocket. I've written it down. It's on record. I've noted it. So if things start to fall in line with what you're saying, then there's no there'll be no denying it from me or no not jumping on the ball bandwagon with you. Um, anything just, anything more you want to say on yeah, that? Yeah, ju- just yeah, just to say about Gino. People need to remember he did this last year. He did this last year. Pretty much in the same trend. If anything, it might actually be better. A bit like the defence, because it's it's happened earlier than it did last year. Remember last year in the middle of the season, when we went on that losing streak, mm-hmm. and we couldn't get anything going, and everyone was saying the offence is broken, the offence is broken. Da, 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 da. It's happening again, just ex- just earlier. Is that a good thing? Because iron that shit out over these next couple of games. The defence is clicking. Lean on the defence. But I will back Gino. Even though I have said that, because like I said, I don't want people to think I'm just a Gino hater. Like like I said at the very start, the Drew Lock experience will not be pretty. Um, but I truly believe, like I said last week, he will iron it out. Mm-hmm. It, I, I said something as well there, what I think could be the issue. All his interceptions came with the rookies. I think even though this game just gone, might have looked ugly, I think it might have been the best thing for Gino because he clearly struggling with confidence with he was struggling with the connection with JSN. Um, maybe not so much Bobo because Bobo will get onto him, but he's just an absolute gem. But I think he clearly was struggling with the connection with JSN. Mm. And I think this is the best game for JSN and for Gino because you hear it all the time. It's about timing, it's about rhythm, it's about the touch on the ball, how players like different touches. Feel, froze, arc, everything. It must be so hard. So I'm not writing Gino off. I do genuinely believe he'll bounce back in a really strong way. And like you said, he has a defence who's just lights out at the moment to lean on until he irons his shit out. Yeah, totally. And like I said, I think it, it, it is still worth noting that, you know, Seattle had a backup centre out there, right guard, left tackle, um, playing at right tackle, you know, missing a, a, a key running back to weapon. It isn't the situations and the and the weather forecast hasn't been ideal uh, for for Geno Smith in Seattle so far through this season. So I think, give him let's at least see what he does when Abe Lucas comes back. If if we want to play Jason Peters this week and see how that fucking looks, um, then uh, then then we'll we'll start to judge him more kind of interestingly off that. I think that Jason Peters will come eventually. I think just because of his age and he's been out of the league for so long, I think it, they want to, you know, bed him in slowly, get him up to fitness uh, slowly. Be a big fucking bed. 
Jesus Christ. Jason, oh, sorry. Do you know what? We're not going to get on to Jason Peters because he's probably just there for the young guys. Like, just a, like one of them stupid signings, what's a coaching role. But you made a good point. And you know what's funny? Everyone says, like, the left tackle is the most important job on the line. Do you know our line? The right tackle spot's the biggest point. You notice the difference when Abe Lucas in. Yeah. If you took the time and deep dived into last year to this year, when Abe was there and Abe wasn't there, I could guarantee he is the biggest factor. And I pretty much put my put my hat on it that when he comes back in that team, that offense will be like overnight, boom, done. Mm. And that will show how important he is over, say, Charles Cross. Mm. Um but also another thing, you did mention the old line. Anyone who listens to this who's a Drew Locke guy, if that old line doesn't sort themselves out over these next two weeks, you might get Drew Locke sooner than you actually think. Because <laughs> when Miles Garrett comes to Lumen Field and the Ravens have finished with Geno, if that old line does not switch on these next two games, I'll call I'll I'll call it right now that Gino will not be standing by a third game. They'll snap him in half. Miles Garrett, if Charles Cross is going to earn all his first-round money for this season, because if he isn't switched on, Gino's going to die this next game. Yeah. Because that it's guy a... is lights out, best defensive player in the league. Yeah, it's, like, a, it's, it's a massive stretch coming up for this offensive line in terms of some of the pass rushes that they're going to be going against. It could be a Halloween horror story, but we hope it won't be. Um what isn't a Halloween horror story? It's more of a Hollywood story. Uh, Jake Bobo, is it about time we get really serious about Jake Bobo? And I mean that in the best way possible, by the way. I don't mean he's getting a telling off. Um, because so far, and rightly so, it's a bit of a comical thing. Again, I mean that in the, in, in, in the best way possible. He's called Bobo for start, which, which is just brilliant, undrafted. What the the slowest forty time in wide receiver fucking history, and all of a sudden he's actually a bit of a star and he's a great character, and we've unearthed potentially a real hidden gem. Um, but is it time we start to really have more serious conversations about Jake Bowen and say, listen, forget the funny stuff, forget the comical stuff. This lad might well be pretty darn good. Um, because I, I'm getting there after that before that catch. I'm sorry, if that catch is made by a Jefferson, if it's made by a Jamar Chase, if it's made by ex-elite receiver that you want to name, then it, it's still being played on NFL Network. And it, and to be fair, Bobo's might still be, but in, it, it would be the talk of the NFL world. Um, Good morning that, football, it'll be everywhere. It? It'd be all over Tyreek Hill, plastered, Waddle, all these guys would be plastered everywhere. Um that is a good a toe tap in the corner catch as the lockets was against the Rams. It, it's in that echelon. It's absolutely an elite catch and process of a catch. Um, I'm getting to the point where I, I'm ready to kind of say, do you know what? Um, let's have some serious conversations about Jake Bobo because he's potentially a very good, not saying a Doug Baldwin, by the way, you know, you, it's an easy comparison to make. It's the person I think of straight it, away. It is. It is. But even if he's like a Jermaine Curse, another undrafted free agent receiver that we had, even if it like if we've got another one of them, like what it, it's such a great weapon in our offense. Do you know why he reminds me of Doug and it's nothing to do with the undraftedness? 
is to do with his route running. Okay. I like he's that. just a tall, like, I'm not going to put my hat on him because he's not had enough, you know, competitive, like repetitive playing time to put him on a tier of Doug Baldwin. But his route running, remind, he just reminds me of Doug Baldwin. It's the first person I think of every single time. And I was already there on Bobo solely because he knows his role. He's older. He's 25. He will do anything for this team. And like he said in his post-game interview, his role when all the wide receivers are there are essentially is essentially lead block. Mm. And he loves doing it. And he is excellent at it. And that covers, do you know what, it covers up so much how freaking good he is. That that touchdown, if I were NFL teams coming to playoffs, yeah, watch that and go, okay, contested high ball in the end zone. We've got to respect him a little bit more. If I was an NFL team coming to playoffs, I'd watch that third down conversion when he literally destroyed his man on the line. I, I, I am sick of it. I'm sick of the 40 time. I'm sick of talking about his 40 time. I'm sick of that shout because just put that on repeat because he did it all through preseason. Everyone's like, oh, well, they're backups. They're twos. They're threes. It, he just he just did it in an NFL, a, a full competitive NFL game and he destroyed his man off the line. Like the guy had no chance on him. And he was effortless. If I was an NFL team and I was looking at us and say looking at the Cardinals, if I was the Browns, and think thought to myself, let's hope he doesn't have more snaps than he did last week. And then if he didn't, I'd be rubbing my hands together because he brings something completely different to this team. Like love JSN. Like love JSN, but what with Bobo's height. And his route running ability, he could be so much more dangerous. Like so much more dangerous in this offense. JSN literally got used the way we've all been crying for him to be used. And look how dangerous he was. We actually pulled off a screen. Yeah. <laughs> but who was who was the block? Bobo. Bobo. Yeah. When it works, just repeat it. Because exactly. No one can slow, like he doesn't even look that big no, on the TV, a... or and he's a unit of a man. No one can stop him, no one can get him down. He wins all these battles. Like with JSN pulling off screens, he's he's getting the dump offs, he's he's getting the short yardage stuff. This is how you use him. Like, I've never agreed with this. You can't use him in third down because of the old line problems. Well. If it's short, quick release stuff, don't fucking matter. Gino's probably one of the best out there. Drop back, one, two, boom. One, two, boom. In stride, that's JSN, in stride, doing what he does best. And we saw it in this game. And like I said before, it's going to be the best thing for us. Now, the rumours are DK's actually got cracked ribs or broken ribs. Mm -hmm. It'd be very interesting to see if... They actually just after this last game with Bobo and JSN doing their thing, it'd be interesting to see if they just rest him for another week. Because personally, that defense is really good on the Browns, but we just watched Garner Minshew 
put up 38 points on him. It's interesting because I think when I look at this Browns defence as a little bit of a, a preview, um, you're saying that it is very good. The back end's very good. The secondary, we know all about that. Del Pitt, Ward, we know all about them. Uh, and the front seven, it, you know, the D-line especially is is excellent. But those linebackers aren't great, in my opinion, for the Browns. That's their weak point. And I look they get at destroyed Bobo, by the slot. Exactly. And, that, and I look at Bobo, I look at Jason, at those slot, those across the, across the you know, those those crossing routes, slants, all that kind of stuff. Um, that, for me, is, is Bobo's and JSN's bread and butter, really, getting them on those quick stuff. And just to throw someone in there, one a guy we love, whilst we're just kind of... Because, again, it's like the offence is the vocal point. Like last week, we don't want to sound like a broken record, but it is. Like, mm. we'll get onto the defence, individual guys, but it's like, what can you talk about? They're just that good. But, like, our, our guy, who we've loved ever since he's come here, Cole Parkinson. Yeah. It's about time he got a couple of plays in this last game and he caught them wide open, wide open, just to get them yardage. Get him. You've got, you got Disley doing absolutely F all, earning loads of money. Kobe or Noah fan, put them fuckers in the slot as well. Mix it up, confuse them a little bit, get them the tight end in the slot just, just dissect in the middle of the field. Gino is actually really good at doing that. And I'm not, I'm not saying he is obviously by any stretch of the imagine a Travis Kelsey. But if you were to watch the Chiefs, and as we all do, Travis Kelsey doesn't do anything amazingly spectacular in terms of play calling. It's just over the middle, he gets open, and Mahomes gets him the ball. But you don't see him making unbelievable catches because he's just that good of a Hall of Fame tight end. He's just super super good at route running and super good at just finding the space the soft spot in that in that coverage it, again round about the linebackers on those 10 15 yard throws across the middle and, and it's bread and butter and and I look at Parkinson I go do you know at the tight end position you don't have to be this spectacular I'm like say look at Kelly you don't have to make these spectacular catches you don't have to be this spectacular athlete or anything like that that you see from the amazing wide receivers that we have in the NFL you just get across the middle of the field as a six foot seven six foot eight whatever he is ridiculous size tight end with hands of absolute solid gold coming out of Stanford, didn't drop a pass coming out of college, hasn't really dropped a pass for the Seahawks that I can remember. Um, I mean, he will have done one or two, but he seems to to reel in most of his catches. He's a reliable pass catcher. Um, just get him working across the middle of the field. Who, who, who can match up with him? If he has a bit of space and if he gets open in the NFL and, and you can get him open... You can't, you can't match, you cannot match with him. I don't care who you put out there. There's no other six foot seven linebacker. There's no other six foot seven corner. You just can't match up with that kind of guy. And it's the same with Kelsey. It's not because he's, he is a very good tight end, obviously, but it's just the matchup difference. He's so impossible to match up with. You've got someone like Parkinson. Not everybody has a six foot seven tight end at their disposal. We have one. And it also happens that he's exceptional at catching passes. Fucking, let's get him fucking used. Like, like you're saying against this Browns linebackers group, against any linebacker group, but especially a poor one. That is their weak spot on that defense. Get him there. The, cra- the, the crazy thing about it as well is, Waldron used to be a tight ends coach. <sighs> he loves the tight ends. Everyone who came when he came in was like, the tight end usage is going to go through the roof. Oh. And we've got one of the biggest tight ends. In the league, 
and they can't use him. I remember his first, I think it's like his first year in the league. I follow uh, the Titan University, mm-hmm. what Kittle and uh, Kelsey set up. Mm-hmm. And he went to that and they spoke about how they were quite like, they were surprised with how good he was as all rounder. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from the, like, the elite Titans mm-hmm. currently in the league. And then Greg Olson, who was one of, the elite Titans, you know. So people like that are saying that. And then you got Waldron, who's like a tight ends guy, and you're like, but one thing I'm going to hold my breath on is the last two games he has started getting the looks. Mm-hmm. The missed fourth down where he's wide open, did his man like just unleash him. Just unleash him because he got free of his man like easy money. For that fourth down, Gino should have just released it. And then last week, when he got that catch down the sideline, he, he beat his man then as well. Like, just let's go, let's get him involved. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Um, it just seems a complete waste for me to have that unique of a of a of a player there at receiver and and, and not get him more involved. Um, but. In terms of what it means for Eskridge and Young, in part of our initial statement, do you think, I think certainly for D Eskridge, I think potentially his time might be up. I think we could package him into a trade if we wanted to, potentially. Um, Young obviously has longer on his rookie deal, but I, I just can't see a role for Eskridge or Young really moving forward. No. I just can't see it. Um, so I, I, Bobo, Bobo's destroyed. Well, when we picked JSN up, Eskridge's number was drawn anyway. They'll probably try their best to keep him on special teams as a returner of some sorts. But on a quick note with that, even though he fumbled a ball, I, 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 I'm going to put my hat on the fact that you'd struggle to find a more solid returner than DJ Dallas in this league, in my opinion. Like a couple of seasons ago, very bullish on him, read the stats, read the numbers. And he had good return, average yards for returning and stuff like that. He's found himself a little role in this team. And I personally think just keep him the return guy and let him focus on that role and grow in that role. And I think he would have done that more if... Igwebuke. No, not Igwebuke. Who's on the IR who came from Georgia? McIntosh. Yeah, if McIntosh didn't get injured, that would have freed DJ up to just solely be a specialist return guy, in well, my opinion. Interesting, because McIntosh is potentially coming back this week, uh, according to Pete. Is he? Apparently so. Oh, he's... fucking hell, but Pete told us that Abe Lucas wasn't injured. He did, he did. So, as always, take with a pinch of salt with him. Um, and, but, sorry, back on to the original point with um, D. Yeah, D's number was drawn when... JSM uh, was done. Maybe they might try rotation in the return game. DJ Dallas, for me personally, solid. Um, just fuck him off. Get rid of him. He's useless. Um, Derek Young, unfortunately for him, never had a chance. But Jake Bobo's here now. He is a speedster. They'll keep him around because of that speed. He's the DK mold. So if DK say his injury is worse than what it is, then he is probably going to fill the DK play package because they're so similar. So personally, Derek, I keep him around. He don't cost much, not going to cost much, never is going to cost much. Um, 
but he can fit the system as cover for DK. Before we leave the offence, I was going to kind of say, obviously, a shout out to Ken Walker for being the exceptional player that he is week in, week out. Again, ridiculous. Um, Do you know, as uh, as my number two boy, because I've got my OG and then Ken, they're, they're in my little club together. For me personally, that was his best game I've ever I've ever, I've ever seen him play as a Seahawk. And do you know why? Because one thing that everyone's kicked off about Ken about is he can't get the hard yards. He can't just... He's either breaking out a big run or behind the line of scrimmage losing yards. He got 105 rushing yards today by hard fucking graft, by hard yeah. work. No Charbonnet had to do it all by himself. And... He grinded them out. He may have not got the touchdown. He may not have done any of them sexy things people like to see. But all anyone's dis- discredited him for was being able to just do, essentially, do his assignment. Yeah. And he did that. Eve, and he did it in a way. I think it was the commentary who mentioned it said he did it in. He got his yards today in a way like Marshawn Lynch got his yards. Yeah. In a it- game like that, because. I said it to you before we came on air. I rewatched that game. All credit to the Cardinals. I don't think our fan base is giving them enough credit on defense with the all line issues. But their defense was flying around the gaff. They they were just as fast and ferocious as us a lot of the time. Like granted, the all line wasn't doing that good, so it kind of gave them the effort. But it wasn't like. Ken would get three yards and it was about 10 heads on him, 10 people jumping on him physically. He had nowhere to go a lot of the time, but still managed to break out some nice runs. But it wasn't the home hitters. It it was get the first down, get the first down, methodical. That's what everyone wanted to see. So for me personally, it's the best game I've watched him play. It's an interesting point that, like say, when you look at his stat line of 26 carries, 105 yards and just a four average per run, that's that's low for Ken, that average, but that fits into what you're saying in, in the sense that those four yards per carry are all harder. It's not, you know, we've seen Ken have you know, five, six average yards per carry, you know, games in, in the past. That's kind of where he normally is. Four is low for Ken and 26 is ridiculously high. That's a proper workhorse back stat line, that game that he's had. So it, and, and like you say, it's just another string to add to his board. So, yeah, if you want me to do that in a game, I can I can carry the ball 20 plus times for you and go and get three, four yards per carry and, and, and churn out hard yards for you. Um, so I was really impressed with Ken in that respect too. Um, but we've got to get to the defence. So I'm going to go there. Um, normally, the, normally, the fun, say, bit. the fun bit. Now, Everyone, and rightly so, you know, is, is raving about Devin Witherspoon. Of course they are. I am, you are, we all are. But I just want to change a little change of pace this week because I want to first start off to talk about Boye Maffe. Um, because let me tell you something. He is pretty darn good, people. Um, and through five games, he has four sacks. Now, Yes, we played six, but if you remember, he was inactive for one. So with 11 more games to go, he's averaging just just below that sack a game kind of kind of average at the minute. Now, our single season, and I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but this is an interesting kind of projection that he's on potentially. Um, our our single season sack leading record is 16 and a half. That was set by Michael Sinclair in 1998. 
Second to that, we've got a 16-sack season from Jacob Green in 1983. Um, and then you're looking at whereabout Boye Mafé's average age. And at this current rate, he's probably going to average in that region of 14 and a half sacks. That's that's probably what his projection is if he continues on his current rate. That's maybe what we can kind of expect, that 14 and a half to, to 15 sack range. Now, that is getting really ahead of ourselves, but that the fact is this, that is the average, that is the projection that he is on. Um, and, I mean, in, in, in recent times, like, like say that that Patrick Kearney season in 14, 14 and a half sacks uh, in in two thousand and seven. Um, the only other time this century, like the, the, like you've got to go back to uh, twenty eighteen. Frank Clark when he had thirteen sacks in twenty eighteen. Again, if you want to go to to this century, you've got to keep going back to Cliff Averill in twenty sixteen. Eleven and a half sacks, uh, and then you're looking at Chris Clemens with a few there. John Randall, Jaron Reed way back in 2018 with 10 and a half sacks. Like, we don't produce double digit sack play. We just, you know, at a high rate. And and it's a hard thing to do in the NFL. But, like, the the projection he's on at this moment in time is pretty ridiculous. And it's not just his sacks, it's the way he's setting the edge, he's stuffing the run. I mean, I'm struggling to remember, at least defensively, a second year player improving this much from his rookie season to his second year from what we saw in his rookie season we kept it, oh yeah he's quite raw the ta- the talent is quite clearly there but he's really raw forgive me i can't remember it i thought did he get a sack in his rookie season i can't even remember um but it was he pretty, probably would have i think he might have got one or two but it was you know it was sparing it you know it, he, he he was quite a raw prospect this season he, he he is i mean this isn't an understatement people he is one of through, through his first five games this season in the NFL, that, that he is one of the best pass rushers in the NFL at this very moment in time in terms of his sack rate, it, 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 his pressure rate, it, his, his pass rush win rate. He's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. So to go from his rookie season to being just a depth guy, a rotational guy that we just saw when guys were coming in and getting gassed to his second year as a second round pick to all of a sudden through the first six weeks of the season being one of the best pass rushers in football is ridiculous to me. Uh, so I know people got, ask that. Just well, to jump in, he got three last year. Three. So the, the the projection is ridiculous. The sack rate is ridiculous. There aren't many better pass rushers in the NFL at this very moment in time. And he's not even playing as a true defensive end. He's playing as an outside linebacker. It's just ridiculous. Um, so I think Boye Mafia really needs to start being talked about more in the NFL world in general and in the Seahawks world in general. Yes, we want to talk about Devin Witherspoon. Yes, we want to talk about Jamal Adams and all these sexy corners and safeties. And they are sexy, by the way. They're all beautiful men. Um, but Boye Mafia. I mean, let's just give him his props. He should have had two sacks as well. Remember he when he got in the backfield? Yeah. And it was a bit like, he was like, do I wrap him up? And he just kind of like did that stupid jumping around thing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like, I understand it because it's one of them. He already had the rough in the passer with the stupid chop. Blocks. And all Mitch, if he was here right now, he'd be a stickler and go, well, that's the rules. Well, sorry, Mitch, <laughs> it's a shite rule. It was pathetic. He even pulled all his power out. He, like, tapped his shoulder pad. Do you know the big pads they wear, the big plastic things to protect him? He tapped that thing, and it's like, who knew? So I think he was a bit hesitant because if he went full bull rush at him and Dobbs had let the ball out, you're probably calling the rough in the passer again. So I get why he did it. So he 
potentially could have had two, but you are right. Like last year, I think it was noted, sure it was him who was noted that he was really good at setting the edge. He just needed to learn and develop his pass rush. We said it a couple of episodes ago, one guy in this coaching staff that goes very very underrated and very unspoken is that guy from Michigan State. And that's how, because I can't, I don't know his name. It's the guy from Michigan State. I said it in the last one, I can't remember his name. TJ Watt. Could you imagine if Boy Maffey is the new TJ Watt, is his new little gem project? Because he carries on going the way he's going. Like, why not? What, I mean, like say the facts are and, and that what he's showing on the field isn't lying. He is one of the best pass rushers in football this season. Like, like you, you have to say it. You have to give the man his props. It, it, this is what he's showing us. Um, so I, I, I love Boye Mafia. I think, like I say, this development from first year to second year is is pretty unheralded, in my opinion, from what I can remember. Um, but do, you, do you want to talk about Devin Witherspoon now, Pez? It's not Devin Witherspoon behaving so. No, I was just going to say, do you, whilst we're on the D-line, do you want to talk about Nuosu or are we going to just have a gush fest over some more players and then well, how do you want to play this? Well, let's talk about Nuosu then because he is on the D-line. So let's talk about Nuosu. Obviously, he's heading towards uh, season-ending surgery. Is it his shoulder? Is it his shoulder injury? I can't Pectoral. Remember. Pectoral. Um, so obviously a big loss to the Seahawks. You know, it was outstanding for his last season. Um so that's going to be a big miss. Now, up to now, Pete Carroll has kind of played it a little bit coy and said, because <laughs> he's been the little fucking teasing devil that he always is, and says, right right now, we're not looking at external help to, to maybe address that situation. But then he ended his sentence with, yet. So he's, he's, he said, we're not looking for help, and then gone, ah, yet. So basically, that translates to me, in my opinion, that they're going to see what they've got in training camp this week going to see potentially what a Levi Bell looks like, what a Daryl Taylor looks like in a more three-down role, um, and, and where he is potentially in his health, because as you say, Pez, it takes him until the second half of the season to fully get going anyway. Can we trust him to play a three-down role yet? Um, which, in, in you know, maybe one and a half sacks last game, probably his best game of the season so far, Daryl Taylor. Maybe we can. Maybe he's showing that, hello, I've, I've woken up now. Um, so maybe we can. But in terms of guys, if we are to look external, there is a guy for me, I don't know if you've got a guy, but there is a guy for me that just makes total sense, um, and that's Daniil Hunter from the Vikings, um, and what a, what a player it would be to bring in. Um, I, I, I mean, 102 career NFL games, 71 sacks, 379 combined tackles, multiple, multiple pro bowler, and crucially is out of contract at the end of the season, and the Vikings have, have failed to extend his contract with him this off season, they've had talks. It hasn't worked out. So, you know, and the, and the Vikings obviously beat the 49ers the other night. Thank you very much. But through the start of the season, it hasn't been great. Potentially in selling mode. Um, the Neil Hunter would make a total amount of sense to me. And like I say, you could potentially package in a you know these guys like a D Eskridge or someone into that, throw a first round or a second round pick at him and see if they bite at it. Um, but that would be the one that I would look to in terms of external help. Is there anyone that you have in mind? Or are you a Levi Bell truther? Like, I know that you are. I do really hope, because I said it in our Discord, and I just believe, I listened to, I think it was the Man to Man, and they were talking about, um, someone asked them a question about getting a proper fullback, like, like Marshawn had. He had, is it Michael Robinson? Is that his name? Michael Robinson, yes. 
And is it worth getting a fullback to help Kent in the same respects? Well, for me, there's a guy on the practice squad who can play D-line and in pre-season played fullback and it worked really well because in the red zone where we're struggling, he was lead block and we got the touchdown through that lead block. Could he not be a utility man we're really missing out on because he had a really good preseason? And then it's just like one of them where no, it, it this could this like could be a blessing in disguise with a Tyree Smith. Ideally, the, the most logical thing that's gonna happen is Tyree Smith once Nawalsu gets put on IR for the surgery, shut down for the year. Tyree Smith will fill his place. I think that's the natural progression. And then I'd be surprised if not, but I reckon Levi Bell might be a game time um, elevation, a game elevation, and then get him in the rotation, depending on the game script, see what he can do on the line. And maybe let's just have a little bit of fun with him because if we are struggling in the red zone again, let's put him at fullback. Let's see. What he tr- like the versatility of this guy? I now it, is it a thing that you're allowed to play D line reps and full back reps? Is that a possible thing? I think so because there's that Travis Hunter at Colorado, isn't it? That plays I know it's his college, but he plays corner and then he plays on offense. And people are saying, could he do that in the NFL? So uh, forgive me, I'm not sure, but I think they can in theory. I, yeah, I just don't know whether they could play defense and offense in the league. It'd be a lot. But, yeah, but then it wouldn't be because you're not going to rely on him too much on the D-line mm. and probably not rely on him too much in his fullback. You really bring him in red zone packages. Mm. Fuck it. Don't even do that. Just bring Tyreek Smith up. You're talking about two guys who only ever preach they're always in on everything. Of course they're yeah. looking around the league. Of course they're looking and talking to the Tennessee Titans who just literally traded away their best defensive player because I reckon in the next couple of days, the news of Tannehill's season's done and they're going full fire sale. You do not get rid of your fucking best defensive player if something hasn't gone wrong in the background. I think they're ready to go full sale mode. Go down there. Let's see what we can find from their D-line. Mario Edwards came from that team. Did pretty well. They do really well with training up their defensive players. That's my first point of call. I don't have names, but I reckon someone like the Titans is my first point of call who are trained up nicely on defence and who look like they're selling. Let's go and knock on the door and see who they might want to give up. Maybe for a DS switch. Maybe. See, the thing on, on for them, it, for me, it would either be a, a Simmons, which you're talking multiple first round picks, and we've invested quite heavily in the interior of the D line anyway. And then linebacker, it's Harold Landry, but Harold Landry is under extension for like, I think he signed a five year deal last season. So he's got another four years left on a monster, like 80 odd million extension that he sends. So if they were to get rid of him, like the dead cap that they would take is just like ridiculous. They're not going to move off from him. So I. I get it, and, and listen. I, I mean, Simmons would be fucking unbelievable. But, I'd fucking take him. Oh, of course I'd take him. It, it's it for me. It's either a Brian Burns. Simmons at the Simmons at the interior. It's, a, it's ridiculous. Brian Burns. Do you know what Brian Burns or, is a good show? Or, or Hunter. Yeah, 
They're Do you the know what? I'd be looking at. Yeah, yeah, and they want to make a big splash. Obviously, we sometimes we make more coy signings, and we've made quite a big splash in Draymond Jones on it. But if we want to go out and make a big splash and say, "Fuck Chase it, Young. Chase Young," yeah, there's another one. Yeah, Chase Young. Um, they're the three. Realistically, though. Tyreek Smith's going to get elevated. I don't know who else is on our practice squad for the D-line. Levi Bell um, might get a look in. Like you said, I reckon it's going to be a training, going with the ones. Let's see yeah. how you handle yourself. Um, I think um, I think they'll get elevated, but I think for now, I think Taylor will slot into that role where Nwosu was playing, and I think you might see a few more reps with Derek Hall, maybe, um, and, and I think Bell and, and I'll get, get promoted. Derek Hall, and then also, if you think about it, Cameron Young might start playing those more and they might then move Jaron Reed out because yeah, apparently that's what they always wanted. That's yeah. what they always want. They want to get Jaron Reed on the outside. So if they have confidence in Cameron Young, there's so many movable pieces. With also just a key piece we've lost and I don't know if we have a player in the team to replace him, even though in the past I have said that Nwosu and Taylor's games remind me of each other. So maybe Taylor can just be the replacement. Yeah, I think that's the logical thing. And it's what we've stressed on this pod before. It's like, I think they're trying to go positionless, like you're saying, they're positionless football on defence. So we've got players in every position that can just move across. Right, you say, right, Jeremy, Reed, you move outside. Cameron, you, you can go there, you can go there. So I think we we are set up nicely to say, you know, if we get injuries on this defence, we can we can cope with what we've got in-house. Uh, it's just whether you, you want to go and think, you know, can, can we are we in really win now more? Do we think we can push for a really deep playoff run this year? If so, do we go and get a Brian Burns? say fuck it or Daniel Hunter or Chase Young whatever it'll be interesting to see what they do you know I, I just have a feeling that Pete and John won't be able to help themselves as the as the trade deadline enters uh, enters fruition 100% um, but uh, now well, go on I don't know where you were going to go but I'm oh. hijacking this because we spent too long <laughs> on the defence that we can't for our long term listeners they will know exactly where I want to go here You go, and that's Jordan Brooks good lad I love that man. We I always do. have done. I've never wavered. I argued with people till I was blue in the face. And do you know what's different about this year? Everyone's like, oh, because Bobby's back because of this, because of that. No, no. I've always felt ever since he came to the Seahawks, he's had expectations on his shoulders and they've never let him just play his game. They've never let him truly just be free, comfortable, and express himself. It's always been contained. The whole defence has for years and years and years. It's just been contained, contained, contained. You'll do as you're told, you'll do as you're told, you'll do as you're told. And this year they broke out because, well, they tried it with Jamal. The injuries slowed that down. Now they've got Jamal back and then they got Spoon. That's it now. That honestly, if this group, before I just gush over Jordan, if this group stays healthy, the violence is only going to get worse for teams. Like the violence, like it was said in the post game, Jamal said it, Jordan said it himself, Bobby said it. Jordan is not normally a guy who's rah rah, shout, 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 do this, do that, do the other. But he said himself, he said he got injured, he couldn't play. And it's almost like he respected it more. And now he wants to go and express himself. And fuck me 
has that guy expressed himself? I was going to say, Jesus Christ. I was going to ask you, had you seen his press conference after the game? Because I was going to edit edit some of that into the podcast as well here. Can you say right now that you're having as much fun as you've had since you've been in Seattle playing on this defense? Yeah, I mean, look who I'm playing with. <laughs> I'm playing with Bobby Wagner. I'm playing with Jamal, Q Diggs, Young Spoon, Tariq Woolen, Chenna, Jay Reed. I mean, it's a bunch of guys that, that can play ball and, like, when you look around and see that, like, if that don't make you excited, I don't know what does. And so I think that's what it is. And honestly, getting hurt is giving me more appreciation for the game. I think in the past y'all see me make a play and I wouldn't do anything. Like, I just walk off. But um, it's just appreciating where I'm at and pre- appreciating who I'm playing with. And so I think that's what y'all are seeing right now. He wasn't a rah-rah guy, but then he had the injury and it got more appreciation for the game. He was talking about, are you enjoying your football more than ever? And he was like, yeah, look who I'm playing with on this defence. Like, of course I am. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting for me. Very interesting point, wasn't it? That he said, look who I'm playing with. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he wasn't feeling that defence for years. But now, this this is the Jordan Brooks I've been telling everyone who's been listening this is the Jordan Brooks that I was so excited about in college. The, the the freedom, the shackles are off him now. And you know what it is? It might be because, like, you've got to look at it. You've got to think. I've never known a player to come back from an ACL early, not lose any speed, and get even better. And do you know what I think it might be? A little outside-of-the-box view of it. They rejected his fifth year. So, essentially, this is a contract year for him. So he's probably thinking, I've had my fucking big money taken away from me from the fifth year. I've lost out on playing time. I now need to prove myself. And people, because he probably hears the noise, people doubt who I am as a player. And now he can fully express himself. And now you're seeing the true Jordan Brooks. You're now seeing the player that I saw in college. Anyone who got excited about him, um, Matty Brown, Always loved him. Always was telling everyone, you just need to understand. He's like, the, the guy can't cover, but he's getting pass breakups over the centre. He, honestly, he's over people flexing, shouting. I'm like, yeah, I love it. The violence is just unreal. And man, his size, unleashing violence is going to hurt any slot receiver daring to go over the middle. Someone said it. Someone said it in a podcast. That game reminded you of a young Bobby Wagner. Mm-hmm. And all the comparisons have been thrown around, but that is the game where you can genuinely turn around and say, that reminded you of the young Bobby Wagner when he first came in. And you know they were all buzzing off it. Now, yeah. he, quote unquote, is like a leader in the middle. And that's only going to just instill this thing into the team like this guy doesn't say nothing he makes plays and just walks off chill mm-hmm. like and now he's getting angry i need to get angry i need to start making my plays next you know one it? up Tariq woolen just chuck that in there next one up he's going to remind everyone and i love it against the browns or do you know what actually the ravens because everyone's like oh the ravens let's wank open because they battered the fucking lions i'd love nothing more than Tariq to just Turn up and go. Oh yeah, hi, hi guys. I'm still here. Like, yeah, remember me. Yeah. Oh, it's any will, any will. But you know what it is about Jordan Brooks that I think it's like, you know, like before he gets that injury. I think, and you'll see it from a lot of players. They're always worried about that next injury and like, oh, I don't want to go too hard in case I get an injury. 
he get, he's got that injury. It's happened, and it's like, I, and it's not a nice comparison to me. I'm not. I don't enjoy making this comparison. But you know, if someone was, was to get like a, a terminal diagnosis, and then they just live for every day after that, and every day is is a bonus kind of thing. It feels like Brooks has had this ACL thing. It's going. Do you know what? I've had it. I'm now going to not worry about if it happens again. I'm just going to, every time I get the chance to go out and play football now, I'm going to play in that moment, play that play, play as hard as I can. If I get injured again, if the ticking time, ticking time bomb blows up again, then then it blows up again. I can't help that. I have, you know, with the nature of an ACL injury, it is always a risk there now. Um, so it just feels like, why, why bother even worrying about it now? I'll just take it day by day, game by game play by play and 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 you can see he's now kind of playing with this kind of renewed energy that sort of there's no weight on his shoulders anymore like he, before that injury there's that expectation is now I'm a first round pick I have to stay healthy I have to stay I have to play well all the time now he's had an injury yes he's still the first round pick but they've declined my fifth year option people just expect me to get injured again at some point nobody expects me to play well anymore because I'm coming off an ACL injury but he's like I'm showing them I'm, I'm faster than ever. I'm sideline to sideline more than ever. I'm more energized more than ever. I'm hitting harder than ever. And it's like, this guy has just been like, he's like a phoenix out of the ashes. He's just been reborn into this kind of Jordan Brooks that he's just evolved. And it's, it's, it's so fun to watch. Um, Do you know, another thing to take, there's so many little nuggets to take from him as a whole, his inter- the interviews, everything about him, like Bobby spent minutes just chiming mo- like multiple times through his, his pr- post-game presser on Jordan Brooks. I've never heard him talk so like much about him before in the team. But one thing that stood out to me as well was he didn't have, he didn't feel like he had a great first half. Mm. And Jamal came round him. And got in his ear. Then Bobby came round him and got in his ear, and apparently Spoon said something to him as well. What just shows his impact in this team as a rookie. He's like giving guys, you know, a G up. And do you know what you're starting to see? What we haven't had for years. The difference maker is all these guys are bought into each other. Yeah. All these guys, and if you want to segue with this, all these guys are bought into each other to put a lot on his shoulders because of Spoon. Really, what's different in that team? Like, Jeremy Reed, been a revelation on the D-line, he has. But for me, the difference maker is Spoon because since he's come into the team, he is a difference maker. And all these vets, Quandre, smashing the death out of people, playing more free. The evolution of this defence since he started playing, because he's literally playing to the to what you see on the fucking tin, it's freeing everyone up. It's freeing everyone it, up, but in my opinion, it's it's more so there's nowhere to hide anymore. Like it, Tariq Woolen yeah. gave them a gave them some place to hide last season because he was the star boy. Now, but and now Witherspoon's here as well, and he's playing that well. Jamal. Diggs, all these other guys, you can't hide anymore. If you're not playing well, we'll notice it now because Devon's playing so well, Tariq's playing so well. Before that, when they've not been here, you, you know, it was easier to hide, hide behind other excuses. Like, oh, well, it's just not a very good secondary group. Now we've, now we've added just two studs almost in the blink of an eye. There's nowhere to hide on this secondary now. If you're not playing well, it'll be noticeable because Devon Witherspoon's playing out of his skin, Tariq is playing well. And, and that, and in turn, they must go, do you know what? I have to play well now because it's going gonna, it's gonna to show up on tape if I'm not playing well. And it's the ego of an NFL player as well. Mm. It's the ego of Jamal. It's the ego of Quandre. It's the ego of Bobby. 
Jordan, this rookie's coming in, balling out. I need to up my game because he's going to make mm-hmm. me look stupid. Like Bobby, for example. Bobby's playing lights out. Like, just because everyone expects him to do it. I remember two years ago, Bobby's washed, he's done. He needs yeah. to retire, he's done. He's washed, he's done. Mm-hmm. He's, he's literally like the old guy, like the old dog who gets a young puppy in the household and he gets rejuvenated and he, he's like bouncing around with loads of energy again. He's not just like sat there like I'm an old dog now. And he's like, he's rejuvenated. Like, it's a lot to put on his shoulders, but I think he's accepting the challenge. But he is the linchpin. He really is. And you are starting to see, I'm not putting this as a comparison before anyone says it, but you are starting to see what made the Legion of Boom so great? It wasn't because of excellent. It was because each player elevated each other, but then unlocked themselves. Like I've never seen Quandre roam so much near the line. No, he bent that fucker in half. Yeah, Spoon, three sixty the guy. Like Jordan, like ready to bite someone's face off. Bobby took someone out. Jamal, like Jamal, still making. Tackles, but clearly not 100%. He said it himself. Yeah. He's not flying in anymore. Very, very smart. Mm-hmm. He, he he is a kind of dog who needs to be calmed down. He yeah. needs the chill out pills. He needs the, you just be smart, get to 100%, and then when he joins in. Yeah, you've just got Jesus. a muscle... You've just got to Jeez. muzzle him for now, haven't you? And then yeah. say, right, get healthy, and then we'll take the muzzle off. He's, um, he's like the OG oh, dog. Yeah. Like, he's the OG. <laughs> muzzle him. He's crazy. Let him get healthy. He's got a broken leg. He's got the cone on his head and he's still trying to take people out. Get that muzzle on that guy. Back end of the season when he's 100%, unleash him. And teams are like, oh, what about Spoon? What about this? What about that? And he comes like a missile and like rips your quarterback's head off. Scary. It is just a a band full of killers. Um, It is really Julian Love. Julian Julian Love Love. took that guy out. Mm -hmm. Took that, like, on the sideline just creamed him out like absolute missiled him out I was just like so there's so much much energy there's so much violence of action violence yep it's it's the statement of this defense violence of action and it better not slow down because it is sensational to watch I don't give a shit if we flame out if Gino flames out it all goes to rat shit on offense as long as this defense stays that's their new nickname, L-O-B, forget that, the V-O-C, the violence of action. That's, that, that is their yes. new nickname. I like it. Um, and to round it off, what they're kind of producing in the last three compared to the opening three. So in the first three games, and like I say, there's potential, you know, you know, strength of opponent, all that, I get that. But just an interesting look, potentially since Jamal Adams has come back, stuff like that. In the first three games, we were allowing 29.3 points per game. We're now allowing 10 points per game in the last three. Uh, through the first three games, we'd allowed 407.2 yards. Uh, we've now only allowed 236.7 in the in the last three. Um, in the first three games, it was a 5.6 yards per play average that we were allowing. It's now down to 3.7 yards per play. Um, in the first three games, it was a 38.2 yards per drive average. This year, uh, sorry, this this uh, this last three games, 20.9 yards per drive. And finally, uh, 
it was 2.8 in the first three games for points per drive that we were averaging. Uh, so pretty much almost a field goal per drive that we were giving away. Um, now it's down to 0 0.9 uh, points per drive. So this defense in the last three games, like I say, yes, you played the Cardinals. Yes, they played the Giants, uh, but they played a Bengals team that was that was pretty healthy. Burrow was pretty healthy. And, and you know, it's... It's absolutely turned the corner with Jamal Adams coming back with Devin with us. We're getting better game by game. Like you said, all the guys that we mentioned there, Boye Mafe, it's just, uh, and and they're hitting the form at the right time, right when we're about to go into a tougher stretch. And that's important. They're not, they're not taking a, a backwards kind of step there. They're just improving week on week out and we're going to need them to keep doing it. It's going to be hard because, I mean, you know, they're playing so well as it is to ask them to keep improving. But I think they will. They'll have to do it because we're playing against some yeah. really tough teams. Uh, so it's, it's we're going to learn a lot, aren't we? We're going to learn a lot in this next kind of four or five-week stretch, six-week stretch, whatever it is, where we play like the 49ers twice, Eagles, Browns, Ravens, um, Cowboys, Commanders. This that, this is a really tough stretch that we're coming into now. Um, so if we get through it and, and this defence continues to play well through it, Fuck, I, I, I'm in that kind of mode. That give me anyone in the playoffs if we get there, I'll, 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 I'll be confident. If, if this defense can hold up through the, this stretch, again, you know, if we can hold up against the Eagles, if we can hold up against the 49ers, that's the best of the NFC. So we're going to really test ourselves over the next few weeks, um, and I'm, I'm so excited to see what they can see what they can do because we are going to learn a lot about this Seattle Seahawks team in 2023. Any final thoughts on the defense or in general, Pez, before we uh, before we round this one up? No, I think I think we've hit everything there. Well, we've had fun doing this one. Um, we look forward to the Browns this week. Throwback week. Um, maybe playing like some LOB, more LOB style defense in, in throwback week would be lovely. Um, but yeah, can't wait to see those sexy uniforms in full display. It's going to be, it's going to be vibrant. It's going to be fun. Uh, desperate for a, a Tariq Woolen or Devin Witherspoon pick six or something in, in those lovely throwback uniforms. Some highlight players. Uh, another JSN catch for for a touchdown would be would be lovely in a in a in a nice little throwback uni. Something give us something excited to, to warrant these uh, these uniforms coming out. Um, but it's going to be a hell of a game. It looks like no Deshaun Watson potentially for the Browns. I think they're planning for him to go on IR, so it might be uh, old uh, Pajama Chris, PJ Walker at quarterback for the Browns. Um, so it's going to be an interesting matchup. Obviously, you know, no, no Nick Chubb, Jerome Ford, potentially questionable going into that game. What kind of running game are they going to have potentially if he can't go? Um, it, it's potentially stars lining up for a pass-heavy Browns offense that we can potentially predict and, and pick off. Um, so I'm, It's going to be ugly. Everyone. Ugly. Don't get your hopes up. It is going to be disgusting. It's going to be a hard. It's going to be defensive slug. I I, I can't like uh, after the last two weeks. I'm just not confident. Gino's going to get himself straight to the number one defense still in DVOA. They're still. They may have given up all them points, but they're still getting stuff done. It's a horrible game for Gino to get right. But if he can get right against this team, it's bright futures ahead. Uh, just be prepared for an absolute onslaught. But yeah. I, I am backing our defense over their defense. Sometimes when you start off too hot, you can start going down a little bit. We're still ascending, so I like it. I like it. And hey, 
I, they're giving me no reason to, to not be confident in this defense at the minute. So I will be continuously confident in these guys, these VOCs, until uh, until they prove that they're not going to be anymore, um, which they won't be because they'll always be this good. Um, that's at least that's what I'm manifesting anyway. Um, but uh, <laughs> yes, and, and it would just be typical Seahawks fashion that this is the game that they drop forty on them. This you know this slugfest. Oh yeah, no 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 no, we'll go and drop forty, but yeah, we we can hope. Um, but whatever happens, JSN has a Rose Bowl. Whatever happens, we'll be back to talk about it next week. As always, on the We Talk Seahawks podcast, we thank you all. As always, however you get the pod, whether it's through the airwaves or through our YouTube um, and on the video format, however you get us, we appreciate all of you. As always, head to our socials, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, Instagram, TikTok, um, Discord. You can find the link in our pinned X, our pinned tweets, whatever, again, whatever the fuck they want to call it uh, you will find it there great little community that we're always still building um, and it's always fun on game days as we uh, as we delve into the insanity of following the Seahawks on a game day it's a fun three hours that we <laughs> that we bounce ideas <laughs> off each other and, uh, and takes off each other so come and join us for that um, but as always stay tuned and go Hawks go Hawks <laughs>